Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher Jr. and I'm excited about today's guest. That's Josh Teeter. He just recently got uh, his tour card back for the third time to the Corn Ferry Tour. He, uh, I was paired with him a few years ago. It was then called the Viking Classic in Madison at Annandale and is now called the Sanderson. I'm so impressed with this game. I think it was in the Oh, I'm going to say late 2000, 2010 time, and, and just didn't see any really a lot of flaws in his game. Wonderful young man, good player, uh, and just uh, thought the future was really bright for him. But a few bumps in road around the roads and down the roads, and uh, uh, like I said, graduated from the Corn Ferry Tour for the third time. And, and uh, we're going to go back over this as a couple of weeks ago, that nerve-wracking final round to sneak in. He started 34th on that list, needed to be in the top 30. Finished 26 with a fifth place finish at that Corn Ferry Tour Tour Championship, uh, and a return to the PJ Tour at 44 years old. So, a really cool story. Can't wait for you to get to know Josh, and uh, it's going to be some fun getting to, to spend some time with him and catch him back up. Here we go. Well, Josh Teeter's on the uh, line with us, and we appreciate him spending some time with us. Josh, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Jim, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure chatting with you, and I uh, look forward to the conversation. Well, we uh, I, I saw on Instagram that you went to the Need to Breathe concert, which is, I guess is pretty appropriate after the couple weeks you had out there on the Corn <laughs> Ferry Tour. Uh, you lost in a playoff at the BMW to one of the up-and-coming college stars that came through the PGA Tour University. You're 44 years old. You're going up against these 20-year-olds. But you <laughs> needed a really good finish that, uh, that last week. But let's before we get to that last week, let's talk about those last couple weeks in the playoffs and, and what's your you know mindset? How do you kind of you use those past experience to get through there to try to get in that top thirty? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I played pretty solid the whole year, and uh, I wasn't uh, looking to scramble or do anything new or different coming down the stretch. Uh, you know, with my game, um, I was just trying to you know jump into that top thirty. I knew I had top seventy five locked, and I had a corn fairy job next year. Not what we were all shooting for, but hey, it uh, it could be worse than that. So that uh, that was in my back pocket, and I was just trying to like tell myself all year that yeah, I am older than these guys, but all my experience is going to pay off uh, before the season's over with. And uh, you know, I think I the last two weeks I really uh, performed well on two courses that I'd never had played well on wow. uh, in my career. So. Uh, you know, um, maybe a little bit of a mindset switch in those two weeks to go compete a little harder um, and just have a lot of fun, and uh, it seemed to work. Do you think that just that experience and maybe you learned some things from those past experiences, not the things you want to learn, but that maybe helped you get yeah. through those last couple – on a couple courses you really and, – and that's the thing that people don't understand. I mean, when people walk up to a golf course that they have <laughs> played well, they have that great confidence, but now you've got to turn around on – a couple you haven't. I mean, how do you turn that around? Yeah, so those two courses, Scarlet and then Victoria National, I feel like on paper, you know, kind of favor my game, you know, straight hitter and hit a lot of greens. But for whatever reason, when I've gone there, I haven't really performed well. And I think that just made me get more upset and more uh, beside myself out mm. there and like not able to – you know, accept a bogey or 
not really giving myself the freedom to make a bogey, if that makes any sense, because I just didn't feel like I ever made many birdies on those courses. So right. I just kind of went into the week knowing in Columbus it was going to be a tough week. The course was in firm, fast condition, so scores were going to be uh, higher than years past, and I just felt like, hey, I've played for a long time. Um, as long as I go around here and don't make any double bogeys and sprinkle in some birdies here and there, I think we can have a good week and i was able to do that um and then kind of the same up there in uh, indiana we had a couple of bad weather days cool and windy uh, on the weekend and rain on thursday and i just you know had tried to just free up have fun you know make the decision see the shot i wanted to hit and uh really just joe my caddy and i kind of came up with this idea like we don't care once we do mm -hmm. what we got to do pre-shot like let's hit this putt like we don't care, you know? And uh, I feel like a lot of times I can get over some putts that really mean something. Let's say like the one on 17 Sunday, and, mm -hmm. you know, try to guide it in the hole and know that I have to make it. But I was like, you know what? I've done what I can do. Everybody that's out here watching me, supporting me um, at home, people that are praying. <laughs> yeah. Like they're feeling all the pressure. I think they've taken it away from me. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. We, we strive to play for, free. And I think when yeah. you're winning and you're playing well, you are playing free. You're not thinking about the next shot. You're not thinking what it means. And I think if you can find that secret to find more freedom, and that's the, that's the challenge of every player. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're Rory McIlroy, you know, John Rahm, uh, whoever you are. I think they all have struggled that, but you talk about freedom, but you enter mm -hmm. and you said the bad weather. You're, you, I think you were leading after 54, that final uh, event, and you had to be probably top five mm -hmm. to, to move in. What's yeah. that night before like? Because I always try to explain, it's like you sleep like a baby, you're up every two hours. But I mean, how do you, you know, yeah. how do you calm yourself down and not get too far ahead of yourself? Uh, I'll be honest. Like I was pretty uh, at peace the whole mm. time, you know, and I, I didn't even – I knew I was in tied for the lead because I was in the last group, but I didn't really even look to where to see where I was projected to finish. I didn't – and I usually do. I mm -hmm. don't really know why I didn't. Um, and I, I just was like, hey, I've done what I can do. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try to do what I did yesterday. Um, you know, I bogeyed the first hole like I did on Saturday, and I'm like, you know, it is what it is. We got 17 more. Uh <laughs> Let's go do our best. And I don't know. I just feel like I, in those situations in the past, I've maybe tried to control the outcome way too much. And I just tried to, like, let go and uh, play like I was out, you know, playing with you or some of my buddies around Lexington sure. here and just uh, a casual round because I know I've been in situations and I've tensed up and, I mean, there was times out there I still did it, you know. Sure, but sure. I was able to, like, you know, I feel like take another deep breath and calm myself and, you know, make a right decision like on 15 to lay up from 215 yards, which mm. I rarely do. Yeah, um, that's tough. Yeah. That, and, takes dis uh, that takes discipline. I think you mentioned something, and I didn't want to interrupt you, but you said peace. And I remember yeah. at the Ryder Cup when I was playing Seve, and I prayed for peace, and I had that mm -hmm. sense of peace. And, and maybe the good Lord was guiding you through this whole – he obviously was uh, yeah. – and, and kept you from looking at the board to see where you stood. I, I think that's that sense of peace, uh, and I, and I mm -hmm. think that's why you were able to play free. But like you said, you were two over through 11. 
did you know at any point where you maybe stood there? Did you look at the leaderboard? You mentioned sometimes yes. you didn't pay attention. So when I made the bogey on 11, I was on 12T, and I saw a projected 31st. Mm. So I was like, okay, um, we played this stretch really great yesterday, mm-hmm. so we got to do it again. Um, but then I made a really poor bogey on 13, so now I'm like going into the toughest stretch with, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and I'm like, we need two birdies, I think, is what I'm thinking in my mind. But um, really only one birdie hole <laughs> Yeah, being the par five. And uh, I don't know. I had a 213 yards, I think, to the pin, and the wind was funny, and the lie was a little bit on a downhill. And I uh, was in between like seven wood and, I mean, three wood, but that's a whole lot of clubs. Yeah. And I'm like – I just don't feel comfortable. And uh, my caddy, Joe, we talked it over. I'm like, we got to have a birdie, though. He's like, but that doesn't, that doesn't change what we're doing here. Like, we got to do what the game calls for right now. And uh, that was kind of a motto we've used most of the year. Um, you know, sometimes you feel like you got to force it, but, you know, no, you got to still lay it up or you got to chip out or whatever it may be. But uh, I laid up and uh, didn't even hit the greatest wedge shot, but, you know, left it on the fringe with an uphill putt and was able to make that. And, um, so that was a one birdie. And, uh, I didn't know until I got on the 18th green that, uh, I was inside cause I just kind of peered over, saw the scoreboard and it was half blocked by a grandstand or <laughs> the crowd or whatever it might be. But I saw my name and I saw it had a, was in a green uh, lettering. So I felt pretty good when I had a 20 footer, um, and I was going to be in a good spot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, it was, it was, a, I don't know how to explain it. I no, mean, I was, at, I was at I was back to being at peace. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, we were goofing off. Like we had a, one of the rules officials had to come out to give a, a drop for, uh, David Coker. Cause he went in the water and I mean, we, he and I joke all the time and I like acted like I was going to trip him. And, um, I know he's a Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars fan, and they had played in London that morning. I'm like, who won? You know, and I'm just trying to cut up and have fun and keep it light. Um, where in other situations, in the, like that, you know, I'm super quiet and all the mi- all the stuff's going on in your head. You know. Yeah, you slowly got to slow your mind down. Sound like that sense of peace you did. You had that, but you know, mm-hmm. your kids are getting older now. What did they say to yeah. dad when they, when he made it? I mean, that just, I, I know you got teary up. That's emotional. But how, you know, what did they say? I uh, said, you know, because they got to witness it and, and see how you did. Yeah. So they were at home. Uh, they had flag football games. And with it being so up in the air, um, I just kind of wanted them to stay home and mm-hmm. not have to deal with the, the bad side of it if we weren't able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and enjoy their games. But they, they tried to stay up until we got home and my oldest did um you know we had a three-hour drive home and uh i think we got home at like 11 or 11 30 and he was super excited they had <laughs> uh gotten balloons and uh i don't know built this trophy <laughs> yeah it's cool though and and, and, yeah. I, and i know i got you emotionally there but it, it, yeah. it is it's it's emotional and i i know when i came it back is from uh, the Ryder Cup and Mary Langdon who's now 31 was not quite two and she's wearing a t-shirt that my daddy beat Seve 
And I mean to tell you, I'm melted. Uh, and and you know, yeah. you, you, I think as we get older, we get a little softer, uh, yeah. and, and we get a lot more emotional. Uh, and, and you know, your kids will do that to you. And then when you have grandkids like I do, that just you know, they ask for the tr- keys of the truck, and I just give it to them. You know, it's a lot easier. Uh, you want donuts? Yeah. Sure. How many you want? Six. You know, I think that's just that's all part of the deal. But you know, you've had plenty of ups and downs. Uh, you, this is your third time yeah. making it back to the PGA Tour. You know, what yeah. keeps you grinding it? What kind of keeps driving you to get back out there and be keeps being successful? Uh, and I think that's a great question for anybody because you obviously love the game. Yeah, I mean, I love the game. I love to compete. Um, you know, golf kind of came to me as my third love, I would guess. Really? You know, I was a basketball guy being here in Kentucky. Like, the dream is to play for the Cats, you know, and obviously that didn't pan out. Basketball finished uh, – after middle school and then baseball, you know, through high school was my better sport. And then, you know, golf just, I kind of felt like I could play it a lot longer. I meet a lot more people, like it might be more beneficial long-term, you know, career-wise if I wasn't able to, you know, play the tour or whatever it may be. So uh, um, I just like to compete, whatever it may be. And, uh, I think that's what keeps me going. And I still believe that, uh, you know, I'm not playing to my, I haven't played to my potential. Yeah. You know, if I play the corn Ferry tour for a couple of years and I'm playing great and I'm making cuts on the number, like, then it's time to, to kind of give it up. But, you know, I can still, I can still shoot numbers and I can still compete. And uh, Obviously. I think I can still win on the PGA tours. Yeah. Cause we got paired together at the Viking classic and I think we were just in a twosome. Yeah. I think somebody withdrew and you had to put mm-hmm. up with my old self, uh, in the heat and everything. I think you had to felt like you got to give me CPR <laughs> a few times, but, uh, I just, <laughs> all, I just, it I, was a blast. I just, I, I thought I watched your game and I said, this guy's got it. And, and, you know, golf's just a, it's a hard game and we have to keep telling mm-hmm. ourselves. And I think the beauty of this all, I think Dottie Pepper, on one of the podcasts said, you don't have to be, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and you might fail, uh, but you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, all right, how do I get better? And I think, you know, that's, that's something that you've done. And I, and and the mental side is such a a fascinating part for me. I wish I would have studied a little bit more of that maybe in high school or college, but you've got to be friends with the Kentucky baseball coach uh, who wasn't much into golf, but uh, you know, you kind of shared some ideas. Can you tell us how that relationship uh, came upon and, and uh, maybe how he's helped you, and maybe you've even helped him some. Yeah, so we uh, we became friends about a year ago. Uh, Nick Benji owns his name, and uh, our mutual friend Aaron Hogue is, uh, runs the FCA for the uh, University of Kentucky, and he's close with Coach, and he just introduced us. And my kids have gone to his camp in, in the last couple summers, and I don't know, we just met up for lunch one day, and uh it just kind of sparked a great friendship that um he's got he's married and got a son that's nine just like uh, my oldest they kind of play ball together so we're kind of doing life in the same uh season and you know he's trying to lead a high profile you know sec baseball program mm, to a good one do great things and i'm trying to you know have a great career deep into my 40s and then maybe the 50s and uh, we're trying to do the best we can uh, in all facets of life. And, uh, we're both uh, firm believers in Christ, and we just have a lot of com- lot in common. And uh, I don't know. We just he threw some ideas at me that uh, maybe he and uh, former 
Mississippi State assistant golf coach had used just about competing on a daily basis, mm-hmm. you know, in practice rounds and, you know, maybe not uh, hitting 100 putts or 12 chips on a hole, but like going out there and actually playing for something, right? you know, on Monday and Tuesday. And uh, I kind of started doing that again, you know, the last two events, we kind of created this uh, trophy that we were playing for each day and kind of had a different way of winning it. Um, either it was for the practice days or actual tournament day. I mean, even though I shot 74, um, the last round in Evansville, like the goal was to, you know, compete, to make your decisions, to see the shots. And I mean, I shot 74, but I feel like I won the, we, we created, we turned the trophy into a chain. Sure. Yeah. I suppose I ask you, it's called the good chain. Good chain. Yeah. And it's based off of. Uh, Jocko Willink's good video, basically, which means, hey, if you can say the word good, then you've still got life, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can fight back. So, I mean, you can, for instance, hit it in a bunker and be all pity party like I have been many a times. <laughs> <laughs> or you can be like, well, good. They built this sandwich. I've got one. I'm going to go in here. I'm going to show off how I can use it, you know. So just kind of more of a winning mindset at all times out there and uh, – it seemed to help me tremendously, and uh, I'm going to try to keep doing that. And I'll be honest, like he's told me I've helped him in ways, and I, I really don't know how those are. <laughs> Competing at that high level, and yeah. it's it maybe a different sport, but it's still there's a mental side of it. I think you made a great point is, hey, I've got a sandwich. Hey, I have an opportunity. Instead, I look at the yeah. bad break I got, and I think we all have fallen. I, I'm plenty guilty of that. Uh, that's mm-hmm. probably why I'm talking to you on a mic and my face is on TV now. But uh, I think we can be too hard on ourselves and our expectations can be so high that they strangle us. And I think that's the thing you have to be aware of. Even Hal Sutton, who was on one of my earlier podcasts, and I asked him, I said, you know, you were compared to be the next Jack Nicholas." And he said, Jim, how could I ever live up to that? And this was yeah. Hal Sutton to me, who was one of the greatest amateurs that had played in my era. And professionally, uh, and he struggled with it. I said, "Man, if Hal Sutton struggled, then I'm, you know, I'm not in that boat by myself." So, uh, I think we all can learn from that. But like we said, this is the third time you've made it out back to the the PGA Tour. They play for a lot of money. Uh, when you look at all those seasons and different ways you got through, uh, what's the biggest thing you took away? What did you learn about yourself during that whole journey? Now getting back for the third time. I mean, I think I learned that you know the way I play the game you know is still very doable you know i'm not um the longest hitter but i do hit it long enough um i just know i heard uh my good buddy kenny perry here fellow kentuckian you know he's heard him say you know as long as you're a hitter of the ball you can hang around you know Mm -hmm. um but if you lose that part of the game it's kind of hard to kind of stay in and i've stayed in the arena um and i've just always tried to focus on trying to be a little bit better putter i'm not trying to be the best in the world but you know if i can putt average uh you know be about a zero putter and hit as many greens as i do and um i think i can you know continue to play and i think we like you said you know like talking about how sudden the expectations to be the next jack nicholas like we're our own yeah, self. And we all have our own story in life and in uh, the game of golf, whatever that may be. And 
I mean, Kenny's a perfect example. Like 45 to 50 was. I was, was about to say, he's so. a perfect example for you. Yeah. And I know he's a big, you're a big fan of his. And you look at guys like uh, even Jeff Sluman, Lauren Roberts. Mm -hmm. So many of these yeah. guys had great careers. Steve Stricker came back. He couldn't make a yeah. cut. Went back to tour school, had the driver yips, became one of the best players on the PGA Tour. And now he yeah. wins every week on the champs. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think for you, and you look like you've kept yourself physically in good shape. Uh, and I think that's important, stretching as yeah. you get older, as you know. I promise you that I don't do that, and that's why I've probably <laughs> lost 20 yards. Uh, but yeah. I think you made a great point. I was I always felt like I was a really good ball striker. And when I kind of lost a little of that edge, it was like a part of me, which was terrible to think like that, mm -hmm. it was gone. And, and I didn't – not that I was a bad putter, but I didn't have to – I was streaky. But I always yeah. hit the ball well. And I think that's the struggle that I got when I got to 50 is I started driving it kind of sideways. And I had never done that. And it was – you know, an edge, and, and I think that's what's so important for you is you've kept that competitive edge. Now you're 44. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you play for four or five more years on the PGA Tour and you transition into the Champs Tour. I think that's so important, that transition, uh, to get to the Champs Tour is to stay competitive, which you have. And I think, you know, you weren't too proud to go back out and play Corn Ferry Tour and keep grinding. Uh, that's a testament to you and your character. I think that's, that's so impressive. Uh, so many of us... You know, they, the mental side, the, the expectations grind us and struggle. Uh, we struggle with mm -hmm. that. And, and uh, fortunately for me, uh, you know, I got into TV and, and I still stay connected to golf, but I haven't yeah. missed a shot or a cut in the last <laughs> 10 or 12 years with the Golf Channel. So that's that pleasant. Yeah. Now, I mispronounce a few Thai names from the LPGA <laughs> uh, from occasion, and, and they like to make fun of me. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Kenny Perry, but who were some of the guys or maybe some people who influenced you and kind of got you started? You mentioned you played all the other sports. You know, who got yeah. you started and influenced you early on? Yeah, so uh, my mom uh, remarried uh, when I was 12, but met my stepfather when I was six. And he was a golfer. She started playing. And for about uh, five years, I had no interest. Like, mm. I'm like, this is terrible like i want to take a nap like why are y'all watching this <laughs> yeah. and then like when i got to about the age 10 or 11 i'd be out at the country club and swimming and on the diving board and i'd look down at the range and be like i couldn't do that like mm -hmm. i want to go try that and then it took a year or two of convincing them to finally get me a set of clubs at age 12 and uh that's kind of between them playing a lot and then i had a group of friends um that i'd gone to uh school with when we went to middle school we kind of went to different school we separately moved and mm -hmm. went to a school across town but they were kind of big into golf so i stayed connected with those that group of friends and would join them at the course occasionally and then actually where my dad lived about 45 minutes away um the kid across the street i always played, played with kind of had a little bit of interest and there was a par three course there so all three of those um kind of got me started and then pretty quickly there was a uh kind of inner club that uh, a couple great guys here in town ran and we showed up every monday we got to play every uh private course once throughout the uh summer and compete and that kind of got my juices flowing i guess tournament wise and i uh, just kind of continued I, I was able to mix it with baseball because High school golf was in the fall here, not in the spring. And uh, it was just kind of a perfect fit. And kind of toward the end of my high school days, I 
only played golf in the summer and was still able to uh, play the, the spring baseball season. So um, chose to go to Moorhead State because I really didn't play any golf outside of uh, the state of Kentucky um, before college. And, you know, it's not the greatest, biggest golf school in the country, but it gave me the opportunity to just keep playing and compete and get better. And we had some great guys there that, you know, pushed me um, to get better then. And, uh, yeah, that's how I got into it. And that's how we're still here. Have you heard, have you listened to yourself? You call yourself a late bloomer and I'm, I'm sensing something yeah. now I'm sensing, yeah. not that I'm trying to talk you into something, but I am. Uh, hey man, I, I, mean, think, I, I think this third trip. I got trip's, married late in life. There you I go. Got, it's just got, you're a little slow. Later. You're a little slow. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I sense that. But you mentioned playing all those other sports. I mean, they had to help even with your golf. And, and what's your, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you know, kids growing up. you got a nine-year-old. What's your opinion yeah. on, on playing different sports and, and not focusing specifically on one at nine years old or 12 years old? Yeah, I mean, we're my wife played college basketball here uh, at an NAIA school just north of Lexington. But uh, so we're we're both in the in the camp of play as much as you can play, as long as you can play. Um, and you know, our nine year old was they wanted him to play summer baseball this past summer and have basically like three practices a week, six mm. games in the weekend, and like. We were like, we don't really want to do that just yet. Like, we want to travel. We want to, you know, have them come to some tournaments. Sure. You know, they want to go to the lake. They want to have vacations. They want to have a life. Here and there. Yeah. And, you know, right now we're playing flag football. Um, basketball start up here in the, in the winter. But I know at some point, you know, you got to kind of get down to it and specialize. But we're going to try to hold that off as long as possible. I mean, it's the, the thought of like summer baseball for me being a parent would be fun. Like I could see how, you know, playing with better players and having fun with the other families, like that's all great, but I don't know what their future holds if they want to be athletes or what they want to do, but. Um, well, you want to give them know, the opportunity. We want to, to... Be, we want to be at our best yeah. when we're 18, 17, yeah. you know, what what how many you know best eight eight year olds have you seen that you know by the time they're eighteen they're they're burned have out no interest yeah it's like tennis golf's becoming yeah. that way if we're not careful uh, it is and my kids do a little golf but like it's the last thing that they're on their list I think of their you know sports that they love to play I mean yeah but that's either we'll daddy win on the PGA tour I think that might change <laughs> that that could change their spike their interest but yeah i I think that's a good point because i think so many people you know not that they live their sporting lives through their kids but they think they're you know i I think it makes them well-rounded i think it helps their Mm -hmm. skills and different motor skills to play the other sports you know it used to be people didn't work out and play golf oh i can't lift weights i'm going to ruin my golf swing well they've proved that you can do some i mean not lifting four or five hundred pound weights but you, you have to do those things. You have to stretch. You have to pick up because golf's become a speed game. Uh, and yeah. these other sports, I would think, help in the speed. But that's great advice for, sure. for those for the parents out there, the kids out there. Uh, you know, how do you keep you know growing the game? We got to kind of keep it fun and interest interesting mm-hmm. for, for those young people. But a question I always ask, and, and I'll give you time to think of it. If you have to pause, we'll go to a different question. But and you've mm-hmm. played against some of the best in the world. 
and you've uh, you, you know you're one of the best in the world. But what separates that elite player, like a Kenny Perry, or when he was in his prime, or, or a mm-hmm. Rory McIlroy, or these guys that you've played against and seen play Tiger Woods? What maybe separates those? And you've been around great athletes, maybe from the rest of them. What makes them elite? Is there something that you've seen that maybe kind of drives them? Yeah, I mean, um, I just think that they are ultra uh, have ultra belief in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that are helping them in whatever it may be, fitness or you know, instruction, like they're all in on that. They're not wavering. They're not doubting any of that, and they have the most self belief, you know, and they know that, Hey, sometimes it's not going to work out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they get knocked down, they're going to jump back up off the mat and they're going to, they're going to come out the next time and, you know, get in the mix again. Yeah. 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 I I agree. I think that's a common theme. Uh, you know, VJ, VJ Trolio, who wrote the book only one shot. And that's kind of how, why I've started doing this podcast. Kind of put half Mm -hmm. of my, half the book is written about me in my journey with my dad teaching me and my brother and sister who've won professionally on the Corn Ferry Tour. My brother won twice and my sister won on the LPGA. But he believed that elite, competitive, gritty, healthy competitors are made. They're not managed into existence. And I thought that was a interesting mm-hmm. quote from him. And it, there's a lot of truth to that. There's an inner drive. That competition, and I think it starts early on. I think it starts when the kids are real little. Uh, yeah. and, and some are like my oldest, Mary Langdon, sweetest child you ever meet is the most competitive person. Now her mom <laughs> and dad are just slightly competitive. So maybe she gets that. I look at my daughter, you know, Thomas, my son was kind of in between, you know, he loved the social part of it, but Kathleen was my least competitive, maybe my most talented at playing golf. She played at LSU where Mary played at Mississippi state, but she liked for everybody just to enjoy themselves. And it went with She didn't like ups and downs, the emotional, highs that maybe Mary Linden and I kind of did as competitors. Uh, and then I've got a youngest that we call her the legacy breaker, Elizabeth. She doesn't even play. Uh, <laughs> I, she'd make it to about four holes before she start tossing clubs like her dad <laughs> down the fairway. Yeah. But, you know, all kids are different and they're all, but she's very competitive and she's in the yeah. construction business as a female in Nashville. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think playing those other sports help them in life. Mm. I know that the two older girls that played in college golf that helped them in life. Uh, it helped get jobs for them. And I think yeah. sports can do that. As you mentioned, get to know people, get the right people. Golf opens those doors that otherwise wouldn't be open. But this is always a tricky question. Uh, but when you look back at your career and it's far from over, uh, what, are you, what are you most proud of so far and what you've accomplished in, 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 on this journey? Uh I think just the longevity, you Mm. know, um, seven years of mini tour golf before ever getting on corn ferry, um, you know, and that's a testament to my competitiveness, my desire, perseverance, but it's also credit to the people that supported me, Mm -hmm. uh, during that time and then have continued to support me, you know, since then, you know, and then in the last, I guess, 13 to 14 years, just, you know, kind of the ups and downs of the professional golf life, you know, the mm-hmm. point very quick, quickly out to the PGA tour and a nice five-year run. And then to go back and I think th- three years back down there and do it again. And then a couple years back up and a couple down, like just the longevity of it. I think, um, you know, 
people always ask me, have you ever thought about hanging it up? And I mean, there's been thoughts like, ah, but I don't think seriously. Um, cause number one, I don't know what else I would want to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, like I said earlier, like, I feel like there's still potential to be better. And, uh, I'm not leaving. I'm not, I don't have, I haven't uh, maximized my game. Um, and still not compete, you know, right. not been able to compete. So there's, there's still a ceiling I can, I can get to, um, I haven't haven't reached it yet. Yeah, I've had some. I've had a couple guys tell me longevity was something they were mm-hmm. very proud of, and I that says a lot because you know there's a lot of people just you know hang it up and you know sometimes yeah. they realize you're just not good enough. You're plenty good mm-hmm. enough, but I always like to kind of finish up the podcast. Whether it's life or golf, you may have only one shot, and you've got to make it count. And you're making yeah. it count again. Uh, you you might get a third shot in your case, but uh, I'm real proud of you. I appreciate you being with us. Uh, enjoy the family. I know uh, it's been busy uh, time, but enjoy some time off, and we'll see you out in January. I appreciate it, Jim. Always a pleasure. And uh, man, I, I still remember that time in uh, Jackson. It was uh, I think I was a rookie, and it was a pleasure playing. And always look forward to running into you out on the road. Yeah, you, you drove it over the bunker on 11, and I thought my old self could do it, and I couldn't quite pull that one off, and that's when I realized <laughs> I need to go get some more ammunition. But uh, ha- have a good time off, and we appreciate you being with us. Thanks a lot. Take care. Well, fascinating uh, conversation uh, with Josh Teeter. Got uh, kind of emotional a couple times, which I understand. It was an emotional couple weeks. Uh, golf will do that to you. Yeah, you find out a lot about yourself. Uh, you, you find out in those tough times, those low times, you know, just what you're made of. And, and can you, you know, as he said, you know, you get up off the mat, you brush yourself off, and you get back on that horse that threw you out and off. And I, I think that's a testament to him. Longevity uh, said a lot of great things. Said he had a sense of peace uh, at the Corn Ferry Tour Tour Championship where he finished uh, fifth to f- jump from 34th to 26th and get his tour card for the third time uh, and back to the PGA Tour. And it's going to be tough. Uh not as probably as many starts for some of these Corn Ferry Tour guys. Uh, the season starts in January. It'll end in August at the Tour Championship. There will uh, most likely be a fall series again. Uh, but you want to keep and stay in that top, you know, 70. You want to be in there. You want to make it to the playoffs. It, it opens up so many doors. But for some of these guys coming off the Corn Ferry Tour, might have some limited uh, starts. So hopefully they get some starts. Hopefully Josh gets out there and uh, third time's a charm for him. But uh, appreciate Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast, don't forget to get your uh, copy of Only One Shot. That's uh, written by VJ Trolio, and it's available on Amazon. And uh, until next time, we appreciate you being with us, and um, we'll have a good one. Fertile fields of flatlands and hills raised by anything, whatever a farmer can dream. Slug burgers, shrimp ball, catfish fried up in oil. Oh, good gosh, you're mighty. Just a husk of hot tamale now. Now that's Mississippi. Mm. America's music birthplace where rock and roll was made out of our gospel and blues and that pure country tune. Oh, authors and poets, so profoundly stoic. Imagination of a child Let their words run wild Come on now Now that's Mississippi I 
a magnolia tree to Mississippi where a mockingbird sings out on his rim whistling that sweet soul for him I said three Mississippi to this land called home I breathe Mississippi till I'm dead and